In October, I read a news report about archaeologists who had uncovered part of a Roman era street in Jerusalem. It connected two important pilgrimage sites, the Pool of Siloam and the Temple Mount. The man responsible for that 2,000-year-old public works project is a familiar name. It appears every Sunday in the Creed, Pontius Pilate. That comes on the heels of another recent discovery, a tunnel, really a large drainage channel, that ran directly beneath the temple to the Kidron Valley just outside the temple gates, the city gates. It confirms an eyewitness account of the fall of Jerusalem by the Jewish historian Josephus, because in Book 6 of the Jewish Wars, he wrote that when Titus' army broke through the walls, people used an underground passage to flee while the temple burned above their heads. That account, or those accounts, put into poignant relief the passage from the prophet Isaiah. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks, nor shall they train for war again. Anyone familiar with the Old Testament knows that the history of Israel was one of unrelenting conflict up to the present day. God may have promised the Holy Land to his chosen people, but they didn't just waltz in and take it. They had to fight to get it. You can read about that in Exodus and Joshua. And once they took it, they had to fight to keep it. That's the story of the books of Judges, 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings, 1 and 2 Maccabees. During Isaiah's own lifetime, the Assyrians to the north would sweep in and annihilate the kingdom of Israel. The threat to do the same to the kingdom of Judah was not an empty one. Though it would take their successors in world conquest, the Babylonians, to do the job in 586 BC. There is a difference between a homily and a, hist a history lesson. I'm in sympathy with you if you find history more interesting. History matters because, as the Spanish philosopher George Santayana wrote, those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. Preaching should also matter because theology matters. It did for Isaiah. He wasn't writing light verse for Hallmark cards. His vision of a world at peace stands in contrast to the carnage and slaughter that has marked that 300-mile stretch of Middle Eastern real estate for the past 3,000 years. This is the likely reason why the modern Israeli poet Yehuda Amichai, who fought in the Yom Kippur War in 1973, took today's passage from Isaiah and pushed it just a little bit further. He wrote, Don't stop after beating the swords into plowshares. Don't stop. Go on beating and make musical instruments out of them. Whoever wants to make war again will have to turn them into plowshares first. If reading, the reading from Isaiah is meant to comfort, the passage from Matthew is clearly meant to disturb. People in Jesus' day, as in the days of Noah, went about their business unaware that there were political and social forces at work that would ultimately lead to the disastrous First Jewish War. The result would be the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple. Two thousand years later, archaeologists would dig up the evidence 
iron arrowheads in human remains in a drainage channel. I will admit that this is probably not the cheery message you were hoping for at the beginning of Advent. You can blame that on Matthew's grim preview of coming attractions when Christ comes at the end of the world. Modern people do not share this belief. Those who do believe in the end of the world are mocked as religious fanatics. The only people today who speak with any real authority about the end of the space-time continuum are scientists and some politicians. The politicians give us a dozen years. The scientists are a little more optimistic. They've worked out the math to the last decimal place. The universe may go on expanding, but our world ends when the sun, which produces the equivalent of 400 million one megaton hydrogen bomb explosions every second, will finally run out of fuel five billion years from now. That's the bad news. The good news is that five billion years is probably on the lifespan of the majority of us sitting here this morning. In the meantime, the clash between the comfort of Isaiah and the terror of St. Matthew mirrors the cultural clash between the annual winter shopping festival and the liturgical season of Advent, a clash between the bright lights of the season and a warning about the day when the bright lights will finally all go out. Catholic theology is more sober and realistic in its assessment of fallen human nature and therefore more optimistic in its assessment about the future. If that sounds contradictory, it's only because both scientists and politicians don't understand that the future does not belong to us, it belongs to God, it's God's future. This is where we share common ground with the prophet Isaiah, St. Matthew, Yehuda Amachai, and every Jew who ever placed his or her hope in the God of Israel. The Assyrian, Babylonian, Roman empires have all come and gone. Jerusalem remains. Israel has had a rough and tumble relationship with her neighbors and her God, but in the end, God has proven faithful. Will he be, will he be any less faithful to those who believe in him? The Advent liturgy always begins with a hefty dose of reality therapy during a season better known for retail therapy. It's a a word of warning that the joy, the hope, and the peace we want for ourselves and others at Christmas is only really possible by turning to Christ. He is the one whose name gives well, gives meaning to the season. His peace endures forever because he is the Lord of history, who was, who is, and who is to come like a thief in the night. 